Score Innovation Podcast. Welcome to the Score Innovation Podcast channel for a new property and casualty episode. My name is Veva Collison, and I head marketing for Score in the Americas. With me is Michelle Krenzer, global leader onshore energy, and we are your hosts today. As one of the world's largest reinsurers, SCORE provides insurance companies with diverse and innovative solutions focused on the art and science of risk. Let's dive into today's topic, the refinery of the future. SCORE is firmly committed to support the shift towards a cleaner and more sustainable future and closely follows developments in this regard around many sectors contributing to the global discussion around the impact of climate change. You and your team wrote a technical newsletter that looks at how the energy transition is reshaping the future of refineries. Um, hi, Michelle, can you please give us a little bit of background about what you do at SCORE? Thanks for having me on this podcast. My background is chemical engineering. It might be relevant to mention that after getting my chemical engineering degree in France, I spent a year in a research lab at the University of California at Berkeley. Actually worked on application of high pressure CO2 as a solvent, for example, in the food industry. Returned to Paris to work for Foster Wheeler, a large American engineering firm involved in oil and gas project. Then I moved to UAP, a large French reinsurer at the time as a loss prevention engineer. Then came the opportunity to move to oil and gas underwriting for a French reinsurer that ultimately got acquired by SCORE. That was 20 years ago. I joined SCORE in London, where I've held several positions. Today, I'm global leader for onshore energy with a team of 15 people around the world. Can you tell us a little about the history behind refineries until today? Today, there are around 700 refineries in the world processing around 80 million barrels every day. It represents a vast part of the economy as a provider of transportation fuels for cars, trucks, ships, planes, and also feedstocks for petrochemical plants, asphalt, lubricant, wax, and so on. Petroleum refineries have existed since the 1860s, so about 150 years, and have developed ever since, especially with the invention and growth of automobiles and planes, ships, and later providing feedstocks for the petrochemical industry. Refining production has always been growing until today. And you're saying this development is changing because of climate change? Yes, absolutely. Refineries are carbon intensive. Some processes require heating products to high temperatures and the use of refining products produces large quantities of CO2. At the same time, dealing with climate change, growing sustainably and recycling have become priorities for our society. More than 100 countries have made commitments to reach net zero carbon by 2050. The US re-entered the Paris Agreement in January this year. And more recently, Biden established a target that by 2030, 50% of car sales will be electric. 
This means a gigantic transformation is underway. It also means trillions of dollars will be invested in the energy sector, including refining. But you mentioned in your newsletter that the production will actually grow. Can you discuss this? Yes, you're right. The production growth of refineries is predicted to continue further for a few years. I mean above pre-COVID levels. And then at some point, the production will start declining due to climate change and the energy transition. However, it will go down gradually because it will take time before electric vehicles replace internal combustion engines as a global number of cars will grow in the meantime, especially in places like China and India, where the number of cars per capita is much lower than in the West. It will also take time to replace fuel oil for ships or kerosene on planes. Finally, refineries provide feedstocks for petrochemical plants and their production is predicted to grow even further related to the fact that the global population will increase from 7.5 billion today to about 9 billion in 2040. That's a lot of additional consumers. The consumption of plastics is predicted to increase as well. So, like never before in their histories, refineries are facing major challenges and they're also facing opportunities. They will still play a major role in the energy consumption mix for decades. And um, did the pandemic have an effect on refineries? The pandemic in 2020 has caused a temporary decline in refinery utilization rates and, and margins, resulting in a wave of refinery closures or conversions to terminals or to biofuel refineries. Increased working from home and reduced air travel have created some uncertainty regarding the post-COVID impact on demand for oil products, but the demand is actually recovering and now almost back to pre-COVID levels. So can you tell us how refineries are responding to this uh, paradigm shift? Well, our recent roundtables with risk managers from the refining sector have confirmed that climate change is at the top of their priorities. Corporate pledges to reach net zero emissions by 2050 and projects directly linked to mitigating climate change are growing exponentially. We're also seeing large energy companies selling their refineries like Shell and others. Some companies will also use offsetting, for example, by investing in forests to compensate for their own CO2 emissions. But innovation will be key to adapt to the energy transition. And refineries have shown over the past 150 years that they're very innovative and have adapted well to many changes. So could you tell us uh, more about technical solutions? Like you mentioned CCS, for example. Yeah, CCS or carbon capture and storage involves capturing CO2 from flue gases, purifying and compressing it 
and then either storing it by injection in geological formations or using it, for example, in enhanced oil recovery or food and beverage manufacturing or chemical intermediates. There are several technologies in use or under in development which use chemical absorbance or membranes depending on the concentration of CO2 in the gas stream. CCS will help to reduce CO2 emissions from the whole industrial sector. These represent about 20% of total greenhouse gas emissions, of which refining is responsible for about 700 million tons or approximately 10% of the whole industrial sector. To put this in perspective, the world is producing 35 billion tons of CO2 every year. That's about 4.6 tons per person per year. According to various studies, CCS could reduce these CO2 emissions by 5.5 billion tons by 2050. That's about 15% of all CO2 produced. In the commercial first-generation technology used in around 100 projects around the world, the cost of capturing CO2 is $50 to $75 per ton, with 95 CO2 purity. The third-generation technology, which is currently in the research and development phase, will produce 99% purity CO2 at $30 per ton from around 2040. So it's becoming economical when compared to carbon pricing in regulated markets. This all sounds very promising. So I guess the question is, are there already refineries today with the CCS system? Yes, there are already several examples of refineries with CCS, either in operation or planned for the near future. A recent example is the Northwest Redwater Refinery, one of our clients. In Canada. They have a system, a CCS system, capturing 1.2 million tons of CO2 per year. That's equivalent to taking 300,000 cars off the road. Well, that's, those numbers are mind-boggling. <laughs> and um, how about hydrogen, which seems to be a, a hot topic that we hear a, a lot about these days? Yes. Hydrogen, when burnt or used in fuel cells, is clean, doesn't produce any CO2. It just produces water. So no doubt hydrogen will play a major role in the energy transition and could abate CO2 emissions by 6 billion tons by 2050. That's similar to CCS. Refineries are actually major producers and consumers of hydrogen in the refining processes. All hydrogen produced in refineries is consumed in the refinery, mainly to desulfurize products. However, with today's process called steam methane reforming, a lot of CO2 is produced. And again, innovation is necessary to make this production CO2-free and cost-effective. One method is to add a CCS system, which was discussed earlier, 
two steam methane reforming plants, and that's called blue hydrogen, but it doesn't capture 100% of the CO2. And what about, I've heard of green hydrogen, and I think this is like something that's mentioned uh, in many of the articles. Can you, can you discuss that? Yes, so-called green hydrogen, on the other hand, will be produced by electrolyzing water using green electricity generated by wind farms or solar farms. Hydrogen also allows these renewable power plants to store energy and even out the fluctuations of wind and sun. Hundreds of hydrogen projects are planned, about 500 billion in the pipeline. Many of them are linked to refineries. With blue or green hydrogen, refineries in the future could be cleaner, but also they could produce hydrogen as a fuel to partly replace fossil fuels. And are there um, other areas being researched that you'd like to share with us? Yes, of course. There are lots of research related to uh, climate change and the energy transition applicable to refineries, for example. Um, I already mentioned uh, CCS and hydrogen with huge areas of innovation to improve processes and make them cheaper. Other examples include biofuels refineries known to have a lower carbon footprint using renewable feedstocks like vegetable oils, cooking oils, animal fats, agricultural or forestry residues instead of crude oil. And that could provide a transition liquid fuel that can be used with the current infrastructure. So-called e-fuels or electrofuels are synthetic fuels produced by reacting CO2 with green hydrogen to produce hydrocarbons. They are carbon neutral because they produce as much CO2 when burnt as they take from the atmosphere. Converting recycled plastics to oil in refineries is being developed. OMV, one of our clients, already has a production plant in Austria. Another area is improving efficiency. Another way to reduce CO2 produ production and digital transformation will help with new types of sensors that will be able to contribute. Chemical catalysts are being constantly improved in research centers to reduce energy consumption. Replacing gas-fired furnaces with electric furnaces is another potential innovation. These are just a few examples. As you can see, there are lots of areas of research and innovation applicable to refineries. Absolutely. It's it's quite fascinating and we'll, we'll be looking at like how all these evolves over the year. Um, I wanted to come back to the podcast title and ask you at this point, what does the refinery of the future look like to, to you? There will be fewer refineries in the future than today. Remaining refineries will have to be mostly integrated with chemical manufacturing. Efficient, smart, clean. 
They will be powered by renewable power plants. They will be supplied with green hydrogen and they will produce hydrogen as a product beyond its utilization in processes. And from an insurance company's point of view, how, how is this looking? Well, at SCORE, we want to support our clients during the energy transition. Insurers will play a key role in the implementation of new technologies and manufacturing plants. To start with, insurers have to deal with the uncertainty of emerging weather phenomena linked to global warming. The frequency of extreme weather events is predicted to grow, like hurricanes, wildfires, winter storms, floods, and so on, as we have seen recently. This affects refineries as well. But coming back to innovation, as insurers, we're following and assessing emerging risks from new technologies and prototype linked to innovation. We will monitor the scaling up of new processes that often start in the lab, then are tested in small pilot plants before building a full-scale plant. Our engineers and underwriters have to keep informed of technological changes. We will need to understand what strategies our clients will adopt to deal with the energy transition and how these strategies could impact the risk. It's absolutely key for us to understand business models and to make sure that the refineries we insure make enough margins and that it doesn't impact proper maintenance, reliability and safety. ESG, environmental, social and governance consideration are a growing factor in our underwriting, as are the methods and strategies used by our clients to tackle climate change. Companies will need to disclose their climate targets, how they achieve them, how they are measured. And underwriters are being trained and becoming familiar with climate change disclosures. Reputational risk will also be taken into account. Insurers in turn depend on financial ratings, which include ESG factors. Well, thank you, Michelle, for joining us in the podcast. This was a really interesting conversation and we hope to have you again on the podcast soon. Thank you. Thank you to all of our guests for joining today. You can subscribe to the SCORE Innovation Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other audio platforms and be our first listener to new episodes. If you want to share your insights with us, then send us a message at scorepodcast at score.com. Stay tuned and see you at the next episode of Score Innovation Podcast.